Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, hey guys, again, uh, we hope you're doing well. This is a time of a lot of change. A lot of things unexpected that happen in life, and it throws us off our routines, and in some ways, I, I've been experiencing that, that each day, in a sense, I've got to recenter my expectations. I've got to recenter my thoughts. I've got to recalibrate my emotions uh, on a daily basis back on Christ, because if I don't do that, I think the frustrations of just uh, not being able to do what we want or things not working out the way that we want, uh, it can lead us down a path towards the idols in our culture or the idols in our hearts. And so... I hope you guys are doing well, but we're going to jump today back in the book of Habakkuk. If you want to grab a Bible, I encourage you to do that. We're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 1, and we're going to pick up this story in verse 5. And let me share a little bit about what um, the message of Habakkuk is about and try to contextualize this story into our current context. You you know, Habakkuk lived during a, a time of great prosperity in the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. Under the reign of this king named King Josiah, there were a lot of great reforms in the nation that led uh, God's people to truly worship and adore him. But when Josiah dies, Judah and the nation and its leaders fall into decay and morality. The people who should be leading the nation to God were actually leading the nation away from God, where there should have been justice, there was injustice, where God's word should have been put forth and central. Instead of God's word being honored, everything else was honored but God. And Habakkuk looks at the situation and he says, God, why would you allow something so good to go so wrong? Why would you allow me to see these days and yet it seems, God, in this time, as if, as if you're idle. Habakkuk feels as if God has abandoned him. And here's what's unique about this story. Though Habakkuk feels uh, as if he's questioning, he's wondering what's happening, instead of abandoning God in his doubts, he runs to God. And in this passage we'll see today, he actually affirms God's character. Even though he's doubting and wondering where God is, he affirms what he knows about God, and he seeks to anchor his faith not in what he's seeing or even in what's happening, but rather in God's character and in God's nation. And there's a sense in which, and God may be saying this today to us as well, that God says to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, if you see injustice, how much more do I? If you see brokenness, I mean, if you see sadness, if you see suffering, if you see pain, I don't see just externally. I see into the intentions and the thoughts of men, and I see the true corruption and brokenness in life. Listen, Habakkuk, if you're broken, so am I. And yet we're going to discover is that God is not idle. What he's going to say to Habakkuk is, I'm about to do something in your day that no one would expect. I'm going to bring out of injustice, justice. I'm going to bring out of oppression and violence, I'm going to bring salvation. And Habakkuk's going to say, what? God, how can you allow things to get worse? 
I thought by trusting you, and maybe this is your experience, by putting my, my faith in you, things should actually get better. But in the narrative, in the story that Habakkuk's in right now, instead of things getting better, they're actually gonna get worse. And Habakkuk truly in this moment has to trust simply in God's promises and in what he's doing in the world. And he has to set aside his own frustrations for the moment, recalibrate his emotions, his heart in God and truly trust that God is who he says he is. You know, in our country today, I see, I see a lot of conflict. Conflict around what's happening, what's the best next step. And as I'm watching that, I, it makes me nervous when I see a lot of conflict between people and certainly approaches to things. But here's what I see, or at least what I believe is behind all of that conflict. Regardless of what you think the next step is, there is frustration and pain. And that actually brings us together. Because behind all the difficulties is this frustration with what's happening. And as the church, we have an opportunity truly today to anchor ourselves back in who God is and what he promises for us. So jump in Habakkuk chapter one. We're gonna pick this up in verse five. And in Habakkuk chapter one, verse five, God is responding to Habakkuk and he says this, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not have believed if I told. For here's what I'm going to do. Behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press on proudly. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like the evil eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. They pile up earth and take it. And then they sweep. By like the wind and on guilty men whose own might is their God. This is a nation that worships power. They love to win at all costs. And it doesn't matter what happens to others. Their desire is to boast in their own greatness. See, this is a nation that God is going to use to draw Israel back to himself. And that seems strange to us, at least as I read this, it's something I wrestle with. God, why would you allow brokenness to come into my life for the goal of something good? Habakkuk saying, God, the, the world's already a mess. Judah's a mess. You're gonna send this, this people, the Chaldeans, to come into Judah to take us off. And, and, and he describes them this way. They're bitter, they're hasty, they're dreaded, they're fearsome, they're swift, they're violent. That's not a good day. God, you're gonna allow something good to be broken. And I'm gonna trust the purpose for that is to draw us back to you. And that's why he says in verse five, be astounded, wonder and amaze, amazement, at the work that I'm going to do. I'm going to do something in your day that no one would expect. You see, the Bible teaches us that God is in control and God is even in control over the evil we experience in life. And that God uses even brokenness, 
He uses our own sin. He uses our own failure to accomplish his purpose. That there is nothing more sovereign in your life than God. Not even your own mistakes can keep you or keep God from accomplishing his plan in your life. And yet on the other side, though God is sovereign, he will not allow brokenness, injustice, and sin to go unpunished. You know, what Habakkuk teaches in this passage is, is wildly unpopular in our culture. And actually what Habakkuk is showing us is on a collision course with what many believe about God in our culture. You know, today, I think nine times out of 10, unless somebody's just a very hardened atheist, they will say something like, you know, I believe that God is love. And yet when they claim that God is love, that word love, I think today in some ways, I've heard it said it's a, it's a junk drawer word. The word love is a, a weightless word. It doesn't have a lot of meaning in our culture. Let me give you an example. I will say things like, you know, I love my job and yet I love my dog. And I also love my wife. And it's obvious that I don't love all those things the same way. We also say things like, I love the mountains. Sometimes I love the Broncos. I used to love the Patriots until they started hurting my soul. And and it's not because we don't love those things because we're doing something for them. When we say we love the mountains or the beach or or whatever it is, we're saying we love it because of what it can do for us. And in our culture, this, this nature of love, or when we say God is love, it's very fickle. In a sense, it means as long as I'm taken care of, as long as I'm getting what I need, as long as you don't put demands on me, as long as you don't expect me to change, then I love. I'm committed. As long as you don't ask me to commit, then I'm committed to you. And see, the nature of God is much more complex than our understanding of love in our own culture. Because see, in the Bible, it says that God will not allow sin to go unpunished. And there's nothing that makes our culture more uncomfortable, and sometimes even Christians more uncomfortable than this idea that God punishes injustice. And certainly not unless we get to define what injustice is. And here's the nature of God. Here's where we need to see and wrestle with. Because if we don't get this, then, then books like Habakkuk and the nature of God that we see in Habakkuk are going to be confusing. Because God loves us absolutely, therefore he is angry at the things that wreck our lives. When you truly love something, you love something to the extent that you get angry when something threatens the thing that you love. God loves humanity so much that he's willing to bring things into our lives that sometimes discipline, they correct us, but the purpose for bringing those things into our lives is not to harm us, not to hurt us, but in a sense to wake us up and draw us back to himself, that God is sovereign over evil in the world, he's sovereign over brokenness, and yet he does not allow those things to go unpunished. He is loving, and yet he is just. And see, in his love, he is angry towards the things that break and destroy life. And Habakkuk in this story is gonna truly wrestle with that as he responds to God and says, why would you allow these situations in life to happen? Because see, God sees all and God knows all. A couple passages I wanna, wanna take you to. Um, Job chapter 28, verse 24. It says, for God looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. 
Psalm 49 verse 5 says, O God, you know my folly, the wrong I have done are not hidden from you. And then Jesus in Luke chapter 12, it says this, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together, that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. What you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetop. That nothing that happens in life that happens to us or the things that we do to others is, is in any way does it escape God's attention. So when we cry out, God, look at the injustice, look at the brokenness, sometimes God has to say to us, are you willing to look at the injustice and the brokenness, Jason, not so much in the world around you, but I'm seeing it in you. And how am I to address the brokenness of the world around you unless I also address the brokenness in you? And I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it makes a lot of sense to me that when I see the things that are going on and I get frustrated, my attention goes laser focused on all the problems around me and the people who are causing them. And I think sometimes God uses those events to change our focus and say, until I address the brokenness in you, how can I address the brokenness in this world? And that's where Habakkuk is. All he can see is the messed up world around him. And he's gonna even get to a point, how God, he's gonna say in verse 13, how can you allow the righteous, meaning Habakkuk, meaning me, to suffer the injustice of the unrighteous? He sees the brokenness of the world so much greater that he doesn't see the hypocrisy in himself and the own brokenness that he has in his life. It's as if he sees the plank in everyone else's eye, but he doesn't see the plank in his own eye. See, Habakkuk is wrestling with God. And so what happens in verse 12 is Habakkuk responds to God and he questions him. And he starts off saying, are you not everlasting? Now he believes that God's everlasting, but this is truly a question. He's saying, aren't you powerful? Aren't you good? And yet notice, notice the character qualities that he applies to God. He does say, in this time of struggle, O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. Even though I am going through a time of questioning, you are still my God, you are still my Holy One, you are still the rock. And even though my experience and your character right now, they're in conflict with each other, I'm gonna press more and trust more in who you say you are than in this moment who I think you are. He's wrestling and yet he's also trusting. Verse 13, watch this. And you who are of purer eyes, meaning you're holy, than to see evil cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the, the man more righteous than he? Now notice this, see, early in chapter one, Habakkuk's upset because the nation of Judah is wicked. His people, they, they've abandoned God. And now he's like, okay, it's not just that my nation's wrong. God, why would you allow 
a nation more wicked than us to come in and now he changes the language to, to inflict pain on those who are more righteous than they are. He, he's in this place of confusion and frustration. And in verses 14 through 17, Habakkuk says back to God, he reminds God and he, he says, this is what they're gonna do to us. Verse 14, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like the crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. And he's describing again the Babylonians and what they're gonna do, that they will bring all of us up with a hook. They will drag them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. And so they will rejoice or he will rejoice and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his nets, meaning this nation worships the money, the success that makes them prosper. He makes offerings to his dragnets, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his nets, mercilessly killing nations forever? He not only in this moment is angry, now Habakkuk is confused and he's wrestling, God, why would you allow this nation that doesn't exalt you, doesn't honor you, they worship their own power, they worship their own success, they worship their own luxuries, they worship the instruments that make them successful. That should sound a little familiar to us. Why would you allow them? Why would you allow them to come in and take away those things that have been so good? And, and I think what God is going to say, we're gonna see this next week, that God's gonna to say to Habakkuk, I'm not idle. Rather, I, what I wanna do is I wanna use this stuff today in your life, not to destroy you, but Habakkuk, to draw you back to myself. See, in this conversation between Habakkuk and God, what we're starting to see is just how limited we are when we question God. You know, Habakkuk, I think he thinks he sees things correctly. God, why would you allow this? This doesn't make sense. And yet Habakkuk is limited. He's temporal. God is eternal. Habakkuk thinks he sees all, but he really doesn't. He doesn't see the beginning from the end. God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. God is omnipresent. He sees from a greater perspective. And therefore, even as God graciously allows Habakkuk to question him, from God's perspective, some of his questions may seem foolish. In the same way, sometimes my kids' questions to me seem foolish. Now, as they get older, my, relationships with my, my relationship with my kids, it changes a little bit because the way I use authority changes. Now, when they were much younger and they would argue with me, there was a point at which, and even today, maybe I get to this place, there's a point at which I say, guys, you know, you need to just stop arguing. I'm your father. I have authority. You need to listen. Now, that doesn't always work. Hopefully, it works for you. But there's this moment in which you almost have to exert with your kids. Guys, I can see more than you can see. I know more than you know. And right now, I know what I'm asking you seems foolish. It doesn't seem to bring any joy. It doesn't even seem loving. And yet, as a father, I see a greater picture. I know the outcomes. I know the challenges you're going to face. I know what it's going to be like when you're in your 20s. And the reason I'm exerting my authority right now is I want what's best for you. And even though it feels like suffering, I'm going to bring out of this something good. Now, if I can see that in my relationship between myself and my boys, how much more in our limitations do we need to sometimes simply trust 
that God sees more than we can see. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And therefore, we do not lean on our own understanding. But instead, in times of difficulty, in all, all our ways, we need to acknowledge him. And his promise is, I will make your paths straight. We see in the story of Habakkuk just how limited we are. And yet also, I think we see the grace of God that he allows us to wrestle with him. He doesn't cast us off. He doesn't abandon us because God knows the desperation of a human heart that's going through difficulty. And the beautiful thing is, the picture of our God is he welcomes that desperation as long as it's in his presence. He embraces it. But see, grace also teaches us not only will God not reject us when we question him, grace also teaches us that I have no place else to go but God. I know I am so broken. I know that I need him so much. Where else could I go but to God in his presence? See, what we see in Habakkuk is on the one hand, the limitations of humanity in questioning God, but we see God's grace to allow us to question him. And also the grace that comes that shows us I desperately need him and there's no other place I can go. And that's what we see. He's calling God my rock, my holy one. You are my Lord. I know I need you. And yet, Father, I am struggling and I am wrestling with you. And so in chapter two, verse one, here's where Habakkuk ends this week. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out and see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk ends and he simply says, God, okay, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna remain faithful. My questions aren't answered, but I know each day I need to recalibrate my heart. I need to recalibrate my emotions. I need to recalibrate my mind. In this day, every day, I need to recalibrate myself by reminding myself of who you are. You are my rock. You are my God. I know you're holy. I don't understand what's happening. And yet the safest place I can be is in trusting you and being in your presence. See, what do we see ultimately in this story? What is this passage teaching us? You know, Jesus in Luke chapter 24 said that all the Old Testament, the prophets, the law, it all points to him. And the beautiful thing is for Habakkuk in this story, the New Testament actually directly shows us how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that Habakkuk experienced. Because see, in, in verse five, and we saw this, that God says to Habakkuk, if you look at that passage, I'm gonna astound you. I'm gonna do something in your day that you would not expect. Now, here's what God's going to do. Here's what he's saying. I'm going to bring out of injustice, I'm gonna bring justice. Out of violence and oppression, I'm going to bring salvation. What he's saying is I'm going to bring out of the bad something good. Now, I know I've talked way too much in this pandemic about J.R.R. Tolkien, so I've got to do it again. I need to be consistent. Tolkien coined this phrase, eucatastrophe. Now, the word is eucatastrophe. Look it up if you want to. But the word catastrophe, I think we understand what that means. A catastrophe is when something good goes bad. So you're riding your bike, uh, 
dog runs in front of you, you fall off the bike. It's something good. It's a good day, and yet something bad happens. So it's catastrophe is the good turns bad. Well, he coined the phrase you catastrophe because he said, so often I see bad things and they look horrible. They look horrific. And yet there's something good that comes out of the bad. And that's what the gospel story is. And Tolkien saw in the gospel the greatest eucatastrophe of all, that here is this violence and oppression, here is this injustice, and God brought out of that experience something tremendous and ultimate and amazing that none of us could have seen. And even looking back, we continue to wonder at what God accomplished. And see, the apostle Paul if he could have coined the phrase eucatastrophe, he described it in Acts chapter 13. Because see, in Acts chapter 13, Paul is preaching the gospel. He's talking about Jesus and what he accomplished, that God raised him from the dead. And this is how he described what Jesus accomplished. He says in verse 37, but he, meaning Jesus, whom God raised up, did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that though this man, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. He's saying the law, all the law can do is show us our need. It shows us where we lack. The law lacks grace because all it can show us is the truth. And he's saying God sent Jesus into the world to be our satisfaction for our brokenness, to provide us forgiveness and see to free us from the burden of the law. Because the law says you're only good enough if you accomplish these things. And even if you're not a Christian, all of us have a law in our heart. And all of us have a law that says, you know, you're only good enough if you accomplish these things, if you look this way, if you have these things, if you're married to this person, if you're Whatever it is, all of us have these laws. And, and, and see, Jesus not only frees us from the law, God's law, which we have broken, but Jesus also frees us from those, those laws inside of us, the laws of our culture, the laws of our own minds, and he sets us free. But listen to how Paul describes the way that he sets us free. He goes on to say in verse 40, beware therefore lest what is said in the prophets, meaning Habakkuk, should come about. Verse 41, look you scoffers, be astounded and perish for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you would not believe even if one tells it to you. See, as Paul looks at Jesus, he's reminded of the words of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a man that struggled. How can injustice lead to justice? How can suffering and oppression lead to salvation? And Paul realized ultimately what Habakkuk is pointing to, what Habakkuk is struggling with is what we see in Jesus and in the cross. That when Jesus came into the world, he did not come in strength. Meaning he did not come to condemn. Jesus came to rescue. See, Jesus, because he is holy, he came in weakness. And on the cross, he bore our injustice. Jesus willingly allowed injustice, oppression, and violence to fall upon him, not because he is unjust, but because he is holy, and he cannot allow injustice to go unpunished. On the cross, he allowed our brokenness to fall on him. 
and through that injustice, which it was. Because when you look at the story of Jesus, he was falsely accused. He was brought into a kangaroo court. He was set up. He was rejected even by his best friends. He was cast off. And in in the end, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was truly abandoned. And yet through the gospel, through what Christ has done, we see how God has brought out of injustice something beautiful. He's brought out of oppression and violence something we could not imagine. He's brought our freedom and he's given us a glimpse of the greatness, yet the complexity and the glory of God. Ultimately through Habakkuk, we see Jesus. Because if you can grasp this, Jesus is the ultimate Habakkuk. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, think of this. What, what makes up Habakkuk? Well, on the one hand, he questions. He wonders. He struggles with what God is doing. That should also remind us of Jesus. Because see, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus also questioned. He said, God, isn't there another way? God, where are you? Let this cup pass from me. See, he questioned, he wrestled, he wondered, he struggled. On the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like Habakkuk, Jesus asked questions. It's okay for us to. And yet, on the other hand, he was faithful. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. God, you're holy. You are my rock. You are my salvation. I don't I don't necessarily like what's happening, but the safest place I can be is recalibrating my heart, my emotions, my mind, my trust, my day in you. I'm going to trust you. You see in Jesus the ultimate Habakkuk who on the one hand questions and yet is faithful. And see, because God abandoned Jesus on the cross, the only person that in the end has been absolutely abandoned, when we feel abandoned, we have to remind ourselves we're not truly abandoned. Because Christ Jesus was fully abandoned, when we feel we're abandoned, when we feel that we're walking through times of struggle and God has left us, no, God's working. God hasn't abandoned us, just like Habakkuk, right? He's saying, God, where are you? And God says, I'm working. With Jesus in the garden, he says, where are you? And God says, Listen, I'm working. I'm accomplishing something you could not imagine. When you were struggling in frustration and fear, you've got to go back and remind yourself how God has brought out of broken things something whole. And he's used injustice and evil to bring about salvation and good. Now, hey, I'd love it if God did it a different way. I often struggle with that, God. Why couldn't you just abandon all these things and just move in a different direction? Unfortunately, like my kids, that's not a choice that they can make in speaking to God. They have to trust him. And so I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't know where you are, what level of joy, happiness, frustration, conflict you have. But trust that because Jesus was truly abandoned on the cross, as we go through life, God promises he will not abandon us. He will not forsake us. Because if he has forsaken his own son and he has given us up for us all and he has set us free, it means in our times of questioning, God is doing something magnificent. And if we don't anchor ourselves in the rock, the holy one, our God, our salvation, see, that's the only thing that could truly destroy us. The only thing that can truly mess up life is not running to him not pushing him into him, but rather just running back to those things in life that don't lead to hope.
Hey guys, we love you. Uh, I hope you're doing well. Reach out to us. Let us know how you're doing. Reach out to each other. I can't tell you how much, how important it is in these times to continue to press into community. Right now, if there is someone that you miss, would you text them? May the peace of Christ be with you and hopefully they're gonna respond and also with you. Let's, as we continue our worship and end up, and I'm gonna pray for you, uh, let's reach out to each other. Uh, if you're online right now and there's, I think there's a feed over on the left or the right or whichever way I'm looking, uh, check in. Let people know you're there. As we're worshiping this morning, the spirit of God is with us. And I think we need to sense that feeling of community and, and know that we are together in God's presence. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that in the gospel, we see a picture of our brokenness that, that we often don't want to admit is there. That we are so broken that you had to send your son into the world because you are holy to address the injustice that's not just simply in the world, it's the injustice Father, that's in us. And yet in addressing evil, Father, you did not destroy us, but you rescued us by receiving in Jesus the brokenness of the world so that we might receive freedom and righteousness in a relationship with you. Father, wherever people are today that are listening to this, I'd ask in Jesus' name that your spirit, the spirit of truth would lead them into all hope, would show them that Father, in this time, as they endure, you are bringing out character and truth and that which is good so that in this time, we might be refined and draw closer to you. Father, guide us in this truth and remind us of the people we need to care for, we need to love, and we need to cherish who are also going through these times. And yet they need to know that we care for them today. Help us to walk in this truth in Jesus' name.